Hi friends, today we are talking about teaching elementary general music on a cart. My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 57 of Elemental Conversations. These topics came from Instagram and specifically three uh, statements that I'm pulling out. The first one is any ideas for teaching on a cart. I'm saddened by the lack of space to move and play instruments. The next one says I'm teaching on a cart this year. Any suggestions for easy to transport activities? And then the third one is just help for uh, teaching music on a cart with no space for movement. Students are at desks. So since there were three specific uh, topics that we're all asking to address teaching on a cart, that stuck out to me. Something else that I want to point out about these topics and and the way that these are phrased is I think that they give us a lot of insight into the challenge of teaching music mobily, teaching music where you don't have a space to land. And something that comes out twice in these um, in these questions, the first one talks about a lack of space to move and a lack of space to play instruments. The third one is talking about, again, a lack of a space for movement. And then the second question kind of ties this together with the reality that anything we do teaching on a cart needs to be easy to transport. And I think that those specific uh, qualities of this challenge are really important to address right now. So instead of saying it's a huge problem and everything is a 10 out of 10 priority, when we look at these questions from three different people who did not know that the others were going to submit this topic, it's interesting to see the themes that can come up because those can kind of help us narrow down the list of things that we are trying to solve right? So instead of solving the budget crisis at the school, we are looking for body percussion activities for teaching. mm, Oh, I don't know. Steady beat, right? It makes the, it makes the problem a little bit more manageable when we can think of it again with this idea of an elemental approach. What is the foundation? One other thing, and we'll, we'll get into um, a little bit more of that later, but one other thing that I want to make sure that I've also noted is the word sadness. I feel I'm feeling saddened by the lack of space to move and play instruments. I think that's a good place to start because it makes a lot of sense that someone on a cart would feel sad and would feel angry and would feel grateful to have a space at all, and would feel disappointed, and would feel jealous of other teachers who do have a cart, or excuse me, who do have a classroom. All of those feelings make a lot of sense, and I think it's a good, uh, I think it's a good way to frame the rest of the things we'll talk about here, just by making sure someone has verbalized to you, this is not an ideal situation. This is a two things are true kind of moment. This is a creative challenge and this is not ideal for you. And you are a creative person and you can meet this challenge. In episode 13, we talked very specifically about teaching music on a cart. And that conversation was divided into two categories. The first one was just logistics. So thinking through how you are going to collaborate with teachers, thinking about what exactly to include on your cart, thinking about mapping the route that you're taking on a weekly basis, um, thinking about how to help students transition from being in their normal classroom to being in that same classroom with a new teacher and a new subject, how to transform 
transform that general classroom space in the minds of students. So that was all of the logistics side. And then the second part was uh, the actual curriculum, the activities of teaching on a cart. And we looked at several different examples of specific activities that work on a cart. So that's one that if you haven't made it back to episode 13, or if you would just like a refresher, um, that is one that I think will be really helpful moving forward because that episode really frames the activities and the things that we'll talk about today. So again, that is episode 13 and it is tips for music teachers on a cart. Today, we're going to spend our time a little bit more on the activities side of things and a little bit less on the logistics side of things. Let's talk about comparing two different contexts, so like a typical music room and a typical general classroom so that we can kind of get oriented in our space. And then we'll talk about this question, what activities work on a cart? Or maybe we'll find a better, more elemental question that we can ask. And then we'll talk about some ways to adapt some concerns that we have teaching music on a cart, specifically when it comes to movement and games and instruments. And then we'll wrap it up with a plan for when your brain is on fire. One very quick thing that I want to address before we jump into some of these more actionable conversation points, Um, going back to this idea of how it makes so much sense to feel disappointed and jealous and angry and grateful that you have a space at all. One of the things that I neglected to say in that other episode, in episode 13, was about communicating with your administration, just to make sure that you are both on the same page. Because unless your principal has been eating or has been reading a lot of um, leaders eat last or other, you know, like servant-based leadership books, it is entirely likely that you are on a cart as they have an office that they use throughout the school day. And they probably go to that same office every day of the week. They can probably expect that every single day they will be working in the same place. And they probably are expecting that they will have the same desk with a clear surface and their computer. If I were to ask that administrator to bring their computer and their office supplies with them every 45 minutes to a different room, but do their same exact job, that would be challenging. They could do it. Of course they could do it. They're very capable of picking up their computer and bringing it to a different room every 45 minutes, right? But it would be, it would be challenging, right? Let me add to that. Let's imagine that every desk that they go to, to sit down and do their work, right? Like they need to open a notebook and write something down. Let's imagine that every single desk is actually built with these big blocks attached on top and they are arranged. So there isn't room to put down their things. So instead of laying down a notebook on the desk where they can write on the page, they need to cut the paper into strips and lay it down on the desk in different pieces and arrange it so they can write it that way. Can they still write in their notebook? Sure. They just need to cut it up and arrange it in different pieces so they can do it. But yikes, their job just got a lot more difficult, right? This is a very silly analogy, and I understand that it's a very silly analogy, and this would never happen. Absolutely correct. It does um, show the situation that teachers are in, music teachers are in, where they are moving across and picking up everything that they need to teach music effectively, to do their job effectively. And once they get into the place that they have to teach, there is not a space for us to put down the empty air that we need for students to play games. There is not a place 
for us to put down the instruments that we want students to be using or a space for collaborative work in the way that we want to have collaborative work. This makes sense. We do not have the tools to do our jobs effectively, to do our jobs the way we want to do them when we are on a cart in the same way that an administrator walking to a different desk where they can't put their computer down or their keyboard down because there are things on the desk that they can't move. Even though that's a silly analogy, I think it is very similar. (laughs) And I think the um, ridiculousness of it really, uh, for me, illustrates the ridiculousness of trying to do any sort of movement activity in a room that is taken up with desks. There's not room for the kids if the room is taken up with desks. Here's the thing. Your administrator wants the school to run smoothly. Your administrator's job is to make the school run smoothly. And your job is to teach music. So if we are being asked to teach music, but people are taking away the resources that we use to teach music, hmm, well, this job becomes much less sustainable, right? And now the school is not running smoothly. So I go on this whole spiel with this silly analogy of working on a desk that has blocks on it to bring home the point that Everyone deserves to have a space where they can do their job. And your administrator's job is to make sure that you can do your job, right? So you have permission to bring this up in a way that is respectful, in a way that is solution-oriented, in a way that is empathetic first. You have permission to bring up this scenario with your administrator if it's not working for you. And make sure that your administrator has the information that they need about specifically what is not working so that you're not just walking into their office and saying, I'm miserable at my job. I'm about to quit because that's not very helpful. But if there are specific things that would make your job easier on a cart, they deserve to have that information before you are burnt out and you just quit one day, right? Okay. So that's the, that's the situation with communicating with your administration. Let's jump in to some more actionable things that we can do when it's time to actually think about how to spend our time in a general music, excuse me, a general classroom space. What activities are actually going to work? Going back to this idea of two things are true. This is not ideal. This is not ideal for you, which means it's not the best for your students. And you can do this. This is a creative challenge and you are a creative person. Let's talk about what a typical music room looks like. Let's go back to our ideal, which is probably to be in a music room, to be in our own general music space. So what does that look like in terms of activities? Well, students are going to walk in. We'll probably sing some greetings. We'll do some rhythm improvisation. We'll probably sing a welcome song. And then we'll have our main concentration areas and our second concentration area where we're doing like the primary and the secondary lesson objective for that day. What does that look like? Well, we are going to sing songs. Yes, we are going to speak some rhymes. We are going to play some games. We are going to move with structured and creative movement. We are going to read and write, probably a combination of graphic notation and standard Western notation. We're probably also going to improvise and arrange and compose. And we're probably going to spend some time listening to music as well. 
And somewhere in there, I'm sure that we'll want to have some sort of change of pace activity that may or may not connect to the, the main purpose, the musical like curricular purpose of the lesson, but that will probably be like a fun song and a fun movement activity, something like that. Okay. So that's our regular music classroom, uh, layout. That's what we want to be doing. Let's think about the setup of a general education classroom. And let's think of this list, sing, speak, play, move, read, write, improvise, arrange, compose, listen of that list of things. What can still work? Okay, let's go singing. Can I sing if I have a desk in front of me? I can do that. Uh, let's go to speaking. Can I speak a rhyme with, if there is a desk in front of me? Yeah. Okay. I can do that. Now, can I move with structured movement structured as in like there's a formula and there are steps I'm supposed to follow. Well, I guess that's where things start to get kind of tricky, but I'm imagining that if it's just a structured movement and the directions are to uh, jump up and down three times and then turn in a circle and clap my hands. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. I can do some structured movement. Okay. Got that. What about creative movement where I am doing, um, the, the movements that I see inside my mind but they're not necessarily teacher directed. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can do that. I can do that if there's a desk in front of me as well, because I can definitely do things like a float or wiggle or bend or stretch. Okay. I like that. So, so far we have singing songs. We have speaking, we have moving with structured and creative movement. What about reading and writing? Can I read and write if there's a desk in front of me? Yeah. Yeah. I can see a scenario where the music teacher puts some notation on the board and I can read it. I can see a scenario where I'm writing in the air with my finger. I can see a scenario where I am writing with solfege hand signs or body solfege. I can see a scenario where I have my hand staff in front of me and I'm using my finger to write on the hand staff. Okay. So far, so good. Um, I can even see how it would be easier to do some physical writing activities, like on a worksheet. I can see how that would be easier because now as the teacher, you know, I have to pass around those like clipboards or folders or something for kids to write on if they're going to write on my carpet. Well, now I don't need to do that. So actually maybe that's easier. Interesting. Let's tuck that in the back of our head. And then what about improvising and arranging and composing? What about making creative decisions with music? If I am standing in front of a desk, can I make a creative decision with music? Yeah, I think I can. Great. One of the things that we didn't touch on is playing games. Can I play a game if there is a desk in front of me? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the game, but let's imagine that it is a passing game where someone is at the front of the room and they are pointing around the desk of students, the, the classroom of students. Can we play a passing game that way? Yeah. All right. Great. So now when it actually comes down to it, the skills and the media that we use singing, playing, speaking, moving, reading, writing, improvising, arranging, composing, listening. What of those in a typical classroom can we transfer to a general education classroom? When we go through the list, we see that we have not lost any skills. We have not lost any media. We are just changing the context. So now let's circle back to this big question that's on everyone's mind when they find out they are teaching on a cart, which is what activities can work on a cart? 
Here's the reason that question is not as helpful as I wish it were. This is a question that is doomed to lead to isolated activities that don't connect week to week. This is a question that's just adding unnecessary noise, or perhaps it could be adding unnecessary noise. So let's think about a different way to ask that question. Instead of asking what activities work on a cart, because then if you put that into Pinterest or Google, you're going to get a huge collection of like play along boom whacker activities and uh, some games that kids can do sitting down and not moving around the room. So now I have a big collection of activities, but now what do I do next week after I do the boom whacker play along video? And how do I decide which of these fun activities I'm actually going to do? How do I actually map out these activities? So I don't feel like I'm just on a hamster wheel of looking for the next fun thing to keep kids occupied. If you zoom back to episode 40, that one is lesson planning when you have too many resources. And I think that is a topic that is kind of interconnected with this, right? We spend our time looking for 45 minutes for a fun boomwhacker activity. And then at the end of the 45 minutes, we still don't have the perfect play along video and we've wasted or we feel like we have wasted those 45 minutes just kind of scrolling through a teacher YouTube. Do you know what I mean? So that's the reason that this question, what activities work on a cart is not as helpful. Like I said, as I wish it were, because we already found that all of the skills that we do in a regular music room also work on a cart. So the answer is what activities work on a cart, any activity you could do in a regular space, just change the context, right? So let's think about a different way to ask it. What activities work to teach blank? What activities work to teach blank? steady beat. What activities work to teach singing voice development? What activities work to teach ta dimi? What activities work to teach a B form? Let's narrow it down just a little bit, because again, we've already seen that we can do the exact same skills. So now with our collection of activities that work to teach a B form of those of that list of AB form activities, which one of those is using limited open space and minimal physical objects? Do you see how changing this question makes it more actionable? Changing this question to be a little bit more narrow, a little bit more specific, a little bit more purposeful, that gives us the direction that we need instead of something very broad of what activities work on a cart. So the more we can reframe this question to be positive action oriented, and I don't mean positive as in um, like something happy that you would do with a smile on your face. I mean, uh, we are directing, just like we talk about in classroom management, we are directing to an action and not an inaction, right? So instead of saying activities for rhythm that don't use instruments, well, what do you want them to use? Okay, so now I'm thinking speech activities for rhythm, or now I'm thinking body percussion activities for rhythm, or I'm thinking found sound activities for rhythm. Do you see how changing that question to something that is an action you can take rather than something to avoid, that makes the um, activity hunt <laughs> a little bit more manageable. Many of us listening are going to be familiar with the work of Kendra Adachi, and she has a podcast called The Lazy Genius. And she 
might not describe her work in this way, but she is taking just regular life stuff and pulling it down to the elemental blocks of these decisions of um, transitioning from school back to home or how to make dinners in, you know, fall themed, whatever. One of the things that she talks about, I listened to an episode recently about how to pack a lunch for work. And one of the things that she said was don't start by Googling recipes. Don't start by looking for recipes that I can take to lunch because the person who is making that list of 10 recipes to use to take to lunch this week, that person does not know what's inside your refrigerator. And that person does not know what you are going to be in the mood to eat on Tuesday. And that person does not know if you have my access to a microwave at work. Does that make sense? And so if you start figuring out what to eat for lunch by looking at recipes, again, it just adds a lot of noise. And it's the same thing that we talk about with music class, with looking for just an activities-based approach to curriculum construction or curriculum curation. If we are just looking for the activities, then we have a list of activities. And that's not as helpful as narrowing down the search based on our musical priorities. So we will start by clarifying the purpose of the activity. Is this a rhythmic focus? Is it melodic focus? Is it form? Is it um, expression? What is the purpose? And then let's get the parameters after we have really established the reason we are looking for an activity in the first place. So that's the first thing is really trying to find a way to change this question instead of what activities work on a cart, let's redirect and make it what activities work to teach X. And that's where you put the purpose of your lesson. Okay. I know that that, uh, while it is a sound answer, it might not be a very helpful answer. So let's go to some of the main concerns that we have in the transition between a regular music room and a general education space. In my opinion, I think that the big pain points are movement, games, and instruments. I think those are the things that are the hardest to transition. Number one, because they often require physical objects, like in the case of moving an instrument to one location, uh, from one location to another. And then also the space problem. The space problem is very real. Again, going back to this idea of asking your principal to work uh, with blocks all over their desks, right? Okay, let's talk about some very specific movement adaptations. One of the main categories of games that we use in elementary music, one of those categories is passing games. And if we don't have room for all of us to sit down on the floor and have, um, you know, someone in the middle pointing around the circle and there's a lot of room and kids aren't sitting on top of each other, right? Most classrooms have some sort of reading area, but it's not normally designed, it depends on the classroom, but it's not normally designed for kids to sit in a circle. They're more supposed to sit in like a little amoeba, right? With everybody kind of in a pod. So in terms of finding a space where we can move around a little bit uh, more openly, like sitting in a circle for a passing game, that's one of the challenges. So for passing games, this one is a very easy one to do because it really does not require anything. Everybody is going to pat a steady beat on their heads or on their shoulders or on their knees or on a desk or somewhere. Everyone has a job. Everyone has something that they are physically doing while the game is taking place. And then one student or a teacher is going to be at the front of the room and they are pointing around the room to a steady beat. 
And then when a student is landed on, they will either go to the front of the room and they have the pointing job, or they are going to go to a found instrument or another classroom instrument and do whatever the purpose of the activity is. So either um, playing the melody of the song or keeping a steady beat or playing a chord bordoon or something along those lines. So that's for younger students. For older students, they like passing games too, but they might not be as receptive to sitting in their desk um, and happily patting a steady beat on their head, right? So after you demonstrate the way the game goes, let's imagine that students are going to get into groups at their desk pods. You know how a lot of classrooms are going to be set up in like groups of four or five with desks together. They, they can stay at their pods or they can find somewhere else in the room to be in a group of four. And then students can play the passing game just with a group of four. Or guess what? We might ask them to make up their own version of the passing game. And again, this goes back to the actual purpose of the activity and why we chose it to begin with. So if it is a beat passing game, and maybe we're working with older beginners, and we are just working on this concept of steady beat, well, then they just have to find a new way to keep a steady beat as they're passing the object. That can be incorporating things like fake passes, like where you um, fake to the right, and then you put the object back in front of you, and then you fake to the left, and put the object back in front of you, and then you pass it for real that last time to the right. It could also be something where we are going, you know, hitting twice on the floor and then twice on our knees and then twice on the floor in front of our partner, in front of our neighbor, and then we drop the object there. We can incorporate things like um, patting the floor and tapping our knees. We can incorporate small tosses, something like that. The toss idea is a nice entry into a melodic possibility. Um, again, depending on the reason that you chose this song to begin with our purpose for this, this song in this game, if we are asking students to reimagine the passing game, we might ask them to make sure that the object is on the ground at the lowest um, pitch of the song. So I'm imagining uh, something that's working on low. So you need to make sure that the object is touching the floor on the lowest pitch of the song, or you can see the reverse of this. We need to make sure that the object is in the air, that there is a toss on the highest part of the song. So right away, even if we just want to pause and while we figure out what to do next in terms of like big picture curriculum, if we just want to have a week of passing games, we could do that right? We're Monday through Friday. Every grade level is doing some type of passing game because we know that that's something that we can facilitate. Okay. Let's talk about another movement pathway. And that is a structured movement like in a folk dance or a play party. Some of us might remember the tidio tossing routine that we were doing. Oh gosh, maybe it was like a year ago. Um, I will put a link to that in the show notes. So when you click on whatever your podcast show notes thing is, it will say something like read more here, and then it will have a URL to a page that goes along with this podcast. Just click that link and scroll down until you find tidio. And that is a tossing game where students have an object in front of them, like a crumpled up sheet of paper. And it's kind of like Plainsies Clapsies. It's like Tidio a la Plainsies Clapsies. And it's a lot of fun. It still is a, um, a very active routine that students are doing as they sing the song, but it's not the full circle dance. 
So I will put a link in the show notes to that. That way you can just go watch it. Um, another thing, let's talk about Alabama gal, because this is my other like go to fun, fun day, Monday <laughs> kind of game. Um, but if you don't have the space to do a double line with partners doing the peel, the banana and you know, the do dough and everything like that, well, we can still do the activity. So let's imagine that we are going to make a circle around the perimeter of the room in in my time teaching on a cart, I have not been in a situation where we couldn't make a circle. We can make a circle. It's a wonky circle, right? It's like kind of a, <laughs> a circle that's been through some stuff, but it's a circle nonetheless. So whether that is, um, just around the perimeter of the room, or we're cutting through desks or something like that. So we're going to make a circle and then in verse one, let's have the students on opposite sides of the circle. They're going to walk in the middle, eight counts. They're going to high five and they're going to walk back out because you remember that in the actual game, it is the head pair that goes down and then they come back up for eight counts. We can still do that. They're just not walking down a line. They're walking into the middle of the circle. So we have walking in the middle, high five. Hey, could this be a fist bump? Could this be a wave? Yeah, absolutely. Can students figure out what to do when they get there? Sure. And then we walk back. Everyone in verse two, let's walk to the right for eight steps and then to the left eight steps. So now our circle is moving. We don't have to move around the room. We are all still in our circle. We're just kind of moving the best we can over to the right and over to the left. So other way. And now we're standing back in our spots. The sad part of not being able to do Alabama gal in the traditional play party way is that that peel the banana is just so fun to move all of the lines out and then go all the way to the back and then go under the arch and head back to the front. And then there's a new head pair. That is definitely the loss of the peel. The banana is definitely something to mourn and I'm there. I'm right with you. So let's do this instead. I'm thinking of the motion of that peel, the banana, where we go up to the top and then there's kind of a twist. And then we go back to the bottom and there's another kind of twist as the line moves through. And so if I look at that shape, it's like we're making a big circle all together. Okay. That's kind of fun. That kind of reminds me of another move I know we could do and have fun with. And that is ring the dish rag. That is when two people are going to stand in front of each other and they are very gently taking hands. They're very gently connecting their palms, but they're not grasping palms, right? So there's a difference between like palms placed on each other and fingers clasped around my partner hand. If you do that, it is bad news bears. We have our uh, hands connected facing a partner and we are going to twist over ourselves. This is much easier. If you find it on YouTube, that's easier than listening to someone explain it in an audio version. Um, but we will um, go backwards and bring our hands over our head and then we flip around. So we're facing each other again. Let's do that four times. So bum, 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 bum. I'm facing my partner. Let's ring the dish rag the other way. So if I were moving my hands to the right and turning around the first time, now I'm going to ring the dish rag the other way and go uh, to my left with my hands above my head. My partner is, uh, we have our backs turned to each other and then we fully come back around and we're facing each other. So to our left, bum, 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 bum. Now we're facing each other. 
Now let's go back. Ring the dish rag to the right. Bum, 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 bum. Hands go over our head and we'll end with a dish rag to the left. Bum, 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 bum. So we've done it four times a different way each time. Okay, so now everyone is dizzy and let's stand still for the last verse. Bum, 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 bum. Do you remember the head pair that came to the middle uh, during the first verse? Let's have them stand still and they're going to start the wave. And we will just do the wave all around the circle. This is going to be two different waves because remember we have two different people on opposite sides of the circle. They do the wave all the way around until it gets to them. Okay, so first verse, partners on opposite sides of the circle walk into the middle, they high five, they go back. Second verse, we walked, everyone in the circle walks eight steps to the right and then eight steps to the left. Third verse, we're going to ring the dish rag back, forth, back and forth four times. And then the four, fourth verse, we're just going to end with the wave. Excellent. So that's our new version of Alabama Gal. If I'm using this song because I want to have a positive experience in community, and then I want to analyze the melody later, does this give me my positive experience in community? Yeah, absolutely. Is it the dance to Alabama Gal? No, certainly not, right? Okay, let's talk about one other um, game movement idea because these have all been pretty structured, right? Like there's a set way to do it and the teacher is telling students what to do. Let's imagine that we are doing something that's more in the vein of creative movement where students are creating their own musical motions. They are showing the music with their body, but perhaps we don't have the space to move around the room in a way that we would like. So we can use our non-locomotor brain to think about reimagining some movement activities. Because the other thing here, definitely creative movement. These are the options that students have. But for us, these are also good options for us to keep in the back of our heads as we are recreating some movement activities to games that we still want to do. We just can't do them in the exact same way. Uh, here's your word. Show me a way to balance. Show me another way to balance. Show me a third way to balance. And show me your favorite way of those three to balance. You might have done, um, you know, the obvious one that kids will do is they're going to stand on one foot. Great. Excellent. Could you find a different way to balance? Maybe you're adding a lean in it. Maybe you're going to balance your hand on top of something. Maybe you will um, balance a toe somewhere else, like far away from your body. Balance. Excellent. We can do that same mental game with sway or bend or curl or stretch or swing or twist or float or melt or any of these non-locomotor words. Sometimes just having a catalog of options, that is so helpful. And going back, circling back to this idea of asking the question that will lead to the result that we want, instead of what movement activities work on a cart, instead we can ask non-locomotor movement activities because those will work when we are on a cart, but they will also work when we are back, you know, fingers crossed, back in a music room. And we can use these as some good classroom management tools for locomotor movement in open space when it's time to get there, right? So can you imagine a world where students have already practiced control over their bodies in a really artistic, really fun way, but we've been doing it with non-locomotor words. 
Next, in the back of your mind, a nice question is, could we use a prop for this? When I say a prop, I mean, could I reimagine this game with a cotton ball? Could I reimagine this game with a scarf? Could I reimagine this game with a tennis ball? Do you remember the beat passing activity where upper elementary students were creating their, uh, their own version of um, beat motions or a melodic focus to the game or something like that? Is there a way to include a physical object in this game? The last question to keep in the back of your head with reimagining a movement activity is, could I use body percussion here instead of the traditional game? An example of this might be, let's circle back to Alabama gal and let's put our fourth graders in a group of four. And let's play this pattern, the rhythm of the words. First, we will snap and then we will clap, and then we are going to clap in front of us to our partner's hand. So it'll be bum 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 clap bum 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 partner clap bum 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 partner clap, and then Alabama gal, let's play that on our legs. So all together we are snapping, and then we clap. We clap our partner's hands, and in the last section of that verse we are playing Alabama gal. Let's try it. Let's do it together. We're snapping first. One, two. We're snapping. Go. Partner clap clap, partner clap, and play it on your legs. Fabulous. You nailed it. Great job. Students are going to do that with a partner, but do you remember how I said that we are in a group of four? And do you remember how I had that partner clap? Okay. And do you know that this, uh, the form of the song is A, 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 B, the rhythmic form of the song. Ah, okay. So now if I am using this for a rhythmic understanding, oh, okay. This is a new possibility. So I'm facing someone and the people next to me are facing each other again because we are in a group of four. And so now I will snap, 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 clap, go above my head and clap my partner's hands while the people next to us are going snap, 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 clap, going below our hands to clap each other's hands, right? And then let's all turn to a different partner. So now I'm turning to the partner on my right and we do the same thing. And then I turn to the partner on my left and we do the same thing. And then Alabama gal, we play on our legs as we, guess what? Take one step to a right, to the right. So now we are in a different location. So we have a body percussion traveling circle, um, layered over under clapping thing going on. Same question from earlier. If I am using this game to have an active and engaging and collaborative musical experience, and then we are going to pull what we notice about the form from this experience. Does this game work? Yes. If my goal is to teach the traditional play party of Alabama gal, does this work? No. Luckily for me, I am not an Alabama gal teacher. I am a music teacher. All right, so now we have a couple different pathways. We have some very specific adaptations, and then we have some like kind of tuck in the back of your head for as we are encountering new creative challenges, to frame it in the positive, uh, we have some things that we can use just in the back of our heads. And certainly this is not an extensive list of all of the different ways that we could adapt traditional games, but hopefully it kind of gets us 
thinking in that vein, in that direction of establishing the purpose of the activity and then thinking about the parameters based off of a list of all of the things that we can do. All right. Um, for instruments, because I know this is another uh, pain point and I know, I know that it's really hard because you don't want to drag seven instruments, you know, across the campus all day, every day. Episode 34 of this podcast is strategies for sharing instruments. And that really addresses how to facilitate or some ways to think about facilitating, uh, working with a small instrument collection. And that can be really valuable. So if you haven't listened to that, or if you're interested in kind of zooming back to listen to that with this, um, with this on a cart lens, that could be very helpful. One of the other things that I will say about bringing instruments is when we are deciding what to put on our cart, or in my situation, I just had a tote, I just had a bag. <laughs> um, so my, my uh, collection of things was very small. Uh, bring your favorite instruments. Bring the instruments that you love using the most, not necessarily the list of instruments from the internet or from Victoria Bowler. Another thing that can be very helpful is if you want to have a week where you are doing something that is a little bit more active, like a barred instrument exploration activity, or something that is using a few more unpitched percussion instruments or something like that. If you can think vertically, if we can think vertically about this instrument choice vertically, as in what could we use for several lessons across multiple grades and then kind of stack it in one week, that can be very helpful because that can give you some time to think about, uh, if there is an aid at the school who is there to help with, you know, they would help you if you asked. It's just that if your brain is on fire, it's hard to formulate a plan to ask someone for help, right? Or if you have like a team of fifth grade helpers and they have been identified as like the school helpers and they have like their hall monitor pass or, you know, whatever, whatever that is. Um, if you can use those fifth grade leaders to help you and, you know, one or two classes transferring instruments. That's just one of the ways that we might facilitate having a more instrument heavy class. I'm not suggesting necessarily that there is one class that we use instruments, but I am suggesting that if we can stack it, so there is one week where we're going to have a lot of movement between classes, that feels a little bit better to me than trying to think about how can I use all of the instruments all the time in every single class across every single grade right? Let's start with one week where we really stack things vertically, and then we can, you know, take a breath and have an easier transportation week later. So a lot of this will come down to thoughtfulness with lesson planning, with um, lesson preparation and materials. So again, circling back, let's go to episode 34 strategies for sharing instruments, because a lot of those structures are going to work with a very narrow range of pitched and unpitched percussion instruments. One of the things that we can do when it's time to actually play instruments is prep with body percussion and give everyone a job. Let me give you another episode to listen to. Episode 28 is teaching a part work piece on barred instruments. And that title is not necessarily as descriptive as it could be. Another way to say it would be like what to think about before you get to the instruments. 
So um, teaching everything with body percussion first or some sort of physical movement is very helpful because that physical movement, that could be the end in and of itself. So going back to this Alabama gal body percussion thing, that could be the only thing that we do. And that could be a fun thing that we do. And that's the end, right? Or we could take that and put all of the snaps on an instrument put the Alabama gal that we were playing on our leg, maybe that is going to a hand drum and maybe that whole thing gets eventually transferred to unpitched percussion. But do you see how before we get to the instruments, it can still be really fun because we are using body percussion and everyone has a job. Similarly to that idea, Let's imagine that students are working with rhythmic building blocks and they are arranging rhythmic building blocks for body percussion. That could be its own activity and we could stop it right there, right? Everyone has a job. Everyone has something to do. They all have their cards in front of them in a group of, oh, you know, three or four or whatever it is. And then one at a time, you can be pulling groups to go to a barred instrument and try improvising a new melody with the arrangement of the rhythm that they have already created. So then that would be, you know, maybe three people playing a barred instrument at a time and everyone else is still working on their body percussion. I've also done the same thing where students are creating an ostinato that goes with the theme of the song. It was, uh, I think, Duermete Mi Nina and students were creating an ostinato like go to sleep, go to sleep or hush now go to sleep or something like that. And then some students just were being pulled to try playing it on maracas or very gently on a triangle. So then it's not, you know, we have to pass out rhythm sticks to every single student in the classroom and listen to them bang on their desks, right? Everyone has a job. And then some people are just taking turns extending that same job. Okay. We have talked about several things here in terms of the actual doings of the music room. The most important thing is that when we look at the skills that we are using in a typical music room and compare them to skills that we can do in a typical general music, excuse me, in a typical general classroom, that list of skills is the same. The context is different, but we can still sing and speak and play and move and read and write and improvise and arrange and compose and listen, regardless of where that activity is taking place, regardless of whether or not there is a desk in front of us as we are doing that skill. We also talked about framing the question so it is a little bit more specific, a little bit less broad, and a little bit more aligned with our purpose. And I think that that can help frame our thinking as we are talking about adapting movement and games. So you recall that we talked about passing games for younger students and older students. We also talked about a few different options for folk dancing. And then we talked about kind of a list of things to do with creative movement for students, but then also for us to use as we are creating our own movements for the class. We also talked briefly about instruments and about the idea that not everyone needs an instrument for the activity to work. Everyone can be doing the lower scaffold and then some students are doing the extension and that works just fine. Again, that's episode 34, Strategies for Sharing Instruments. And we also talked about episode 28, Teaching a Part Work Piece on Barred Instruments. 
Okay, so now we have a whole list of things to think about, but again, we might not have a very clear direction for uh, our curriculum plan as a whole, and that's okay. Let me give you one more podcast episode to listen to if you would like to, and that is lesson planning when you're burnt out. Sometimes we just need some breathing room to figure out what we are going to do next. Sometimes we just need like a placeholder activity and it's not going to be the most exciting thing we've ever done. It's not going to be like the definitive direction for the music program as a whole. It's not going to be like the crux of our creative capabilities. We just need something to keep kids busy because we are pulling our hair out. So this is the time for the Boomwhacker play along videos. This is the time for the teachers pay teachers one-off idea, like the listening lesson or the just for fun ideas that we find on the internet. This is a great place for those. Do whatever feels easy and fun for one full week while we make a plan. That to me feels manageable. I'm going to have one week of treading water. And if the last you know, four weeks have also been me treading water. Well, then that's great. I've gotten a lot of practice (laughs) and I can just pick my favorite activity to tread water for one more week while I make a plan. Because friends, we have time to figure out how to teach in a new setting. It's not fair to expect yourself to be the same uh, level of smoothness, the same level of uh, with itness in the classroom if you're teaching in an entirely new setting, right? So while our brains are on fire, let's do a tread water, keep the kids busy week while we make a better plan. That is the time where we are figuring out what the bigger picture of the curriculum could look like. I will also add a link in the show notes of a fall themed one-off lesson that I gave away last year. I remember it was for my birthday Uh, and it is based around the book, Too Many Pumpkins. So we are going to read the story and then there are a couple other activities. There's a level one activity, there's a level two activity, there's a level three activity, depending on what students need at this moment in time, right? Like what would work for uh, where they are musically, and in terms of teamwork and independent work and everything like that. So uh, the games that we are using will involve a passing game. It will involve sharing bard instruments. And we've already talked about all of those. Uh, You can use whatever level of this activity you would like to. All right, friends, we are a creative group of people and we are, many of us, in a creative challenge It's a challenge that we can meet. It's a challenge that is not ideal. It is a challenge that is not setting us up to do our jobs well. And all of those things are equally true. So whether you are displaced for, you know, just one afternoon while the book fair is in your room, or whether this is a potential full year of teaching music on a cart, hopefully today we have gotten down to some of the elemental questions about this challenge in terms of teaching with the purpose in mind and then thinking about the parameters. <laughs> 